The reading today is coming from Mark chapter 5. If you have a Bible and you'd like to turn to Mark chapter 5. And we'll start from verse 21. If you're there and you'd like to stand with me, please stand for the reading of God's word. Perfect example today of a Markin sandwich, for those of you who are following along. (laughs) When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, there was a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake there on the beach. One of the synagogue leaders, so you got to keep in mind, there's been some synagogue stories, okay? This guy knows who Jesus is. Seen some things, okay? One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and, he, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Large crowd followed and pressed around him, and there was a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many different doctors and spent all the money that she had. Instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched touched his cloak Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Mark's favorite word, immediately Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You you see the people crowding around you, Jesus' disciples answer, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened, came and fell at his feet. Trembling with fear and told him the the entire truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has, has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, they came and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him in except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw all the commotion, people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And we all know how 12-year-olds are. <laughs> she was 12. There's a theme of 12. 12 years for the woman who is sick. 12 years that there's a, 
connection here. At this, they were completely astonished, but he gave strict, strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them, give her something to eat. Amen. Various traditions would say these are the very words of God and people respond and say, thanks be to God. And in the Jewish community, at the, end, the final Torah portion that is read, there's a statement that is made. Hazak, hazak, v'nit hasek. Have you ever heard this before? This, this Hebrew phrase means be strong, be strong. Let us be strengthened. And it's just a phrase that's on my heart for you as we read these, these words so I'd like to go into a moment of prayer after, uh, after we hear this. So please pray with me. Jesus, have you not been revealed to us? Are you still the same? Would you just speak that word to us? Don't be afraid. Believe. Strengthen my family and brothers and sisters here in this church. Strengthen us and strengthen our faith so that we're able to do what we want to do in this world, which is to represent you, our deepest desire, to be formed into the image of you, Christ, for the sake of uh, your glory in this world so that our world can see the truth of who you are and to see the flourishing that you desire for all of us. Thank you so much for this church, this community that I get to be a part of. I'm just so excited for all the things that you're doing in this community and all the things that you will continue to do now and in years to come. In your name we pray, amen. We're in a section of Mark that I think is uh, kind of notable. Is You might have noticed this, this statement that was made in chapter 4, the parable of the sower and the seed, which uh, Jesus said, uh, a quote from Isaiah chapter 6. I am uh, going to speak in a way so that they will, who, who, who see shall not perceive. They'll hear, they won't understand. And this kind of theme starts to, to spread throughout all the way, I think, until chapter 8 where we have this beautiful story of that blind man who starts to see a little bit more and a little bit more, but, you know, he can only see a little bit at first, and then they... they he, so you, you got to see this section of, of this piece of literature as a whole, and there's all kinds of stuff that's being added to it. And what is, what is Mark showing us in this? That there are people who are inside who think they can see, <laughs> but can't see. And there are things and ways of thinking that can blind us to seeing what God wants to do in this world. And then here, story after story, even in this chapter, I mean, this is pretty remarkable. The people who should not be seeing, the people who are out, there's, their outsiders are, are seeing him in such a specific way. As I tried to emphasize in the reading, they're falling at his feet and worshiping him. I mean, who is recognizing him for who he is here? Last week, you might remember we read of the incident where Jesus and the disciples went across to a place they're not allowed to go, Gerasene, and, 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 and they meet this man who's been demon-possessed, living in the tombs, radioactive. You're not supposed to talk to this guy, touch this guy, good grief. You can't even say words that 
like the city that he lived, you're not even supposed to say that. Like, this is bad. He, being demon-possessed, falls at Jesus' feet. This is an outsider. This is the outsider of outsiders. <laughs> Obeying, receiving healing and restoration from Jesus and Messiah. You see the same pattern here in the, in the next stories. Um, as Mark lays these two stories next to each other that are so interrelated, as I said, there's 12 years here that's being uh, brought up. Even when Jesus heals that woman, he calls her, what does he say to her? Daughter, okay? There's a daughter that's, that's needing healing, okay? And so, um, but, but the woman is unclean. I mean, think about this. Let's do some emotional exegesis. That's not a term, but I like to... I like to say it because I, I think it, when we study the Bible, because we look at verse numbers and headings and chapter stuff, sometimes we start to just read verses and we cease to be immersed in the story at times. Um, and so the story, I think, is important here to connect with emotionally. So we have a dad and we have this woman, right? So this woman is struggling with this uh, bleeding that's causing her to become unclean. So th in their culture, this would have been a, a hugely alienating thing for her. Uh, imagine, she can't go to church. She can't go to your house. She can't, uh, everything that she does is, is costly because it's going to cause people to be unclean for at least 24 hours. And so um, this has been an issue for her for 12 years. She's coming to Jesus in a desperate place. She's completely out of money. I have been completely out of money before. Okay, so this is easy for me to connect with. I mean, what do you do? I'll just not make this about me. But it's good to connect with emotionally. I also want to note that this man is in a desperate place. I have a daughter. I have two daughters. And you know, and, and when you read this, you're like, he is desperately running for, for, this is his last, this is a long shot here. <laughs> I need your help. And when we read stories like this, this is even in the last, just think about the last two years of our lives here. These are no longer relegated to like flannel graph world, okay? This is like very vivid and in color for many of us. You don't really have to try hard to feel emotionally connected to somebody who has been suffering an illness and to somebody who has lost a loved one. There's a word that's being spoken over our world and, and, and all of us who are in this or who are able to connect with this. Um, it's a word of fear. It feels good to be afraid because it feels like, you know, we're def defending ourselves or sticking up for ourselves or, or, or seeking some little semblance of control. This word is being so prevalently just accepted in our world. It's gotten so many of us in complete bondage. How many times have we turned on the TV and like the, the sounds that are coming out of the screen are telling us to be afraid? Things are going to change and your life's going to be over. Or, or how many times have we gone to the water cooler at work and then the conversation is inundated with, what are we going to do? Um, how, how many times have you gone to a family's 
meet, you know, a, a hangout or, or, or a dinner with, and, and the conversation just rolls into um, how, how do we figure out what's going on behind the scenes and how do we, you know, by thinking about that, change it somehow. And so I'm a very awkward person, okay, in my family. So don't think, I do sound like this. This is just normal me. What does thinking about that? Anyway, so <laughs> what is, we're going to change the. I don't want to get too off track here. I'm just trying to speak to our cultural moment right now. And I, I, I think there's some resonance here that there is a word of fear that's being easily accepted. I, this week, there's been many conversations this week where my friends and I, we just think this is what we should be talking about. What, what, what do we do with this? And what are we going to do with that? And, it, and there's a million things we could be talking about, but we give in to the one that's just trying to figure out, or, or at least is based on fear. So this came up in discussion. The number one most common imperative statement in the Bible, I'm, I'm sure some of you know this, is fear not. Now I grew up with a lot of rules here and there. I wouldn't call my folks legalists, okay? I wouldn't do that, okay? They're just, we're just boundaries, okay? No spending money on Sundays, all right? Like that's a boundary or, or whatever, right? We have many of these rules. No Harry Potter or whatever. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I grew up in a fantastic family. And I was thinking this week, if we're gonna become legalists about anything, I mean, what, it, what if we did, what if, what, this is a thought experiment, what if we decided to become a legalist about fear? I mean, if there's one thing that you could take out of context and time and time again in the Bible is this statement, fear not. Even in this chapter, this is what Jesus responds to this whole group of people, he doesn't know these people, this whole group of people in this room, hey, don't be afraid. Now, I would love to hear your thoughts on that over the next 30 years or so as we continue to do life together. What would it look like if we started to have a boundary against some of this fear-based discussion, fear-based decisions, fear-based leadership, fear-based uh, lifestyles? What if we started to even have just a ratio of, like, just to say, I'll talk about fear once for three times we talk about the gospel. Like we just, just write it down. How many times have you spoken out loud? I believe in this, the king of the universe. I believe that he has the power still to this day to lead and guide and direct and to bring uh, fruitfulness to our life and in our context. And just even just... If it sounds clunky coming out, that's fine. Just practice saying things that, are, that you believe is true. I want to add some truth here to this discussion. Maybe as we start to do this, put a little boundaries up here, maybe as we start to do this, we'll start to see a little bit more consistency with our lifestyle that's based on what we actually believe. Now, I know that you probably know this, but just telling somebody to not, to not be afraid almost never works, right? I mean, my daughter's stuck in a rut because she's two and a half, but she loves Halloween. I think it's because of the candy. I, her mom and her have a sweet tooth, but then she doesn't realize there's also scary things that are involved in that 
type of holiday. So she gets scared a lot. So it's a, it's a, it's a vicious cycle. Okay, the ghost, oh, it's scary, you know, and uh, she can't just listen to a nursery rhyme about a school bus, the wheels on the bus. She likes the one that says the Halloween bus. I don't know, it's just, she's fascinated, but she gets scared, and I, got to, I get to grab her, I get to say, don't be afraid, it's okay. The only reason, it's not the words that I speak to her that cause her to not be afraid, it's the fact that I am who I am to her that causes her to not be afraid. Because she trusts that I have the ability to protect her. Oftentimes, she'll respond by saying, Dad, you'll punch it. <laughs> that makes her feel better. Some violence or whatever, right? So, um, okay, we'll deal with that later. But I think it's good for her to think about this now. And I'm observing this pattern of, of, of healing that happens in this conversation where she is able to trust me. Because who I am. Now, just saying to somebody, don't be afraid, isn't, isn't going to fix anything. But we have a better word than just don't be afraid. We have a word of the gospel. And what the cross means for us is that the thing that we are desperately afraid of has been conquered. And we have been set free from the, the, the things that have caused us to feel guilty and, and shame. That's been disarmed. And we have been welcomed out of that oppression. And we have been called out of this place of darkness and brought into a place of light. And we are then able to then trust in that person. That's the person who's telling us, don't be afraid. Believe in me. The word of fear that's being spoken over this man in this story is probably something like, the most important thing in your life is about to be taken from you. And I don't know what that would be for you if you had to fill in that blank of what that would be or when you have felt that. It, it gets really weird when we get real, when we start to talk about all of the things that happen inside on the inside of us when we start to think, what would happen if the most important thing to me was taken from me? There are voices in our culture that say, trust me instead. Trust me and I will give you uh, control. Trust me and I will make you happy. Trust me and I'll make you feel like you, you don't have to be afraid anymore. And all of these things fall short and all of these things break our hearts and all of these things leave us feeling mad at God. What's the word the woman's hearing? Probably. You will never be healed. This is never gonna be taken from your life. She's been struggling for over a decade with this problem. How many of us would just resign to the fact that this is just the way it's going to be? And in those moments, we do go to some dark places. And we do start to say, here's my conclusion. I am broken. Here's my conclusion. God does not love me. Here's my conclusion. I'll never be, I'll never be made whole. I'll never be happy ever again. These words that bind us to get are bound, they, they, they become oppressive to us. They, they cause us to feel 
fear and worry and concern and anxiety. These are the words that we have to stand up against and say, I have a better word. I have a better word. And it's the word of the gospel that, that shows me of somebody who is able to set us free from fear and set us free from our fear of death. He will speak that word to you even now if you'll say, Lord, speak this to my heart and mind. We let go of all of the stuff that's dying for our, our allegiance and our loyalty, that claim to give us control, that claim to give us freedom, and we say, no, I'm going to fall at your feet, and I'm going to reach out and grab whatever I can grab at you, Jesus, because I know even, if, even just to touch you, I will become healed. I will be set free. This is our context. So what do we do with um, what do we do with these stories about healing? I like to just think about that. Think about a Bible story about healing. What is, what is healing in the Bible? What is the purpose of this idea? Shout out a healing story in the Old Testament. Do you have any come to mind? Naaman, I was thinking the same thing. Remember Naaman? Yeah, he dunked out in the water like seven times. Isn't that wild? Anyone else? Pardon? Was that Jean? Hannah. Who's, oh, yeah, okay. Hi, Hannah. <laughs> Hannah, why she couldn't, with uh, Samuel, she, she, she needed to have a baby. Yeah, that was a beautiful story. Um, yeah, so we have healing stories in the Old Testament. We have healing stories in the New Testament. There's a lot of them, right? We, we're reading, we read two today. I'd say that even last week counts as healing, that guy who was healed from his oppression. Um, and so what do you do with healing? What is the point of this? Well, I'd like to bring up the topic just because it can get really dysfunctional in our world if we start to make this into like a formulaic thing. The reason why I say that is because of what Jesus said in verse... I just want to bring this up to you. Don't judge me. Okay, verse uh, 34. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. Does faith heal people? <laughs> is that allowed? Is he allowed to say that? I mean, is that... what? Is, he does the same thing uh, in, in the Bartimaeus story coming up. Um, it kind of sounds like that. If you look at I me, mean, the next story, right, we'll read it next week where, like, nobody's believing in him, so he couldn't do any miracles, right, and in his hometown, except for a few. It, it can become this conversation. I'm sure some of you have heard this. You didn't get healed because you didn't believe enough. You didn't have enough faith. And, I mean, it sounds logical. Like it's, it sounds like it's true. I mean... I think that this is a way for the devil to start getting into our lives and making us into a bigger deal than we actually are. Once we start to give into this, it sounds like this. God's, God can heal you. God's powerful. He's perfect. He's awesome. Of course we all agree on this. That, sound, that sounds like a Christian thought. And then the next thought is, so you are the problem. It's on you. And if you would just have done a little bit more or thought a little bit more, got a little bit more people involved or whatever, then you would have achieved whatever the ratio is that you need to, to get the healing. 
simple version of this is, has anybody ever tried to walk on water? I mean, I know most of us probably have, but then what do you think? I must have did it wrong because I didn't believe enough, and of course I didn't walk on water. And so maybe it's just me. Ice fishing, yeah, okay, okay, now, thank you, Brad. <laughs> Brad has a loophole, that's what we're looking for. He walks on ice. I only say this because I know that people have been burdened with guilt and burdened with shame because people's responses to them, well, if it didn't happen, it's because of you didn't believe enough. It's manipulative to God. And it puts us into a position where we are far more important than what we really are into this scenario. God, what is healing in the Bible? What healing is, is a moment where the kingdom of heaven breaks into this moment. It's a moment where the future reality of freedom and flourishing and the way the world is supposed to be gets brought into the world now. It's actually a moment of truth. It's a truth because this is where we're all going. Healing is going to happen for everybody. This is where we're headed. It's just this is going to happen now for a moment of, for, of to, to bring glory to God and for a moment to teach you about who he is. This is happening right now. But this happens to people who are demon-possessed rolling around in a cemetery somewhere. Did he have a bunch of faith? I don't know. He just, he got healed. I mean, this happens uh, through the kingdom of heaven is revealed not just through healing, but also through acts of love and kindness from each of us. The kingdom of heaven is revealed through doctors and through all kinds of various ways in our world. God wants to redeem us and heal us and move us forwards into his truth. And there are various ways that this happens. And for whatever reason, sometimes it happens in different ways. But just let go of the pressure that you've maybe put onto yourself that I have not done it right and give it to God and fall at his feet and say, I am not gonna be like those people in that house who laughed at him. Because that's, that's in the back of a lot of our minds when we hear uh, Jesus say, hey, don't be afraid, she's just sleeping and they laugh at him. And they laugh and say, there's nothing you can do about this. I think Jesus wants to break into some of our lives today. Let them laugh. They'll mock Jesus all the way to the cross. But that burden that you carry on your heart has been placed upon him. And the means that we will all receive healing is from him. And it is not based on you. And the technical way that I can point this out to you um, is through the words that are used um, behind the English here. I never do this, okay? I'm not trying to be smart sounding. Though I may be smart. <laughs> I'm kidding. So... Uh, Heal, daughter, your faith has healed you. This is not the same word that's that just used for healing in general. That's in the next chapter. That's in other, this is the word that's only used one other time in Mark. It's sozo. It's the word for to be saved. You might have heard that. Sozo. 
It also means to be fully restored. Um, and so that's why I kind of get that movement in my thinking about this is where the restoration is happening. Your faith has brought you into this space of restoration. So I think that that's theologically still valid. To be able to say your faith has brought you into the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's what we believe. He'll say the same thing for Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus says, son of David, have mercy on me. And he, and he is trusting in Jesus right here. And it's this moment of faith. And then he says, so then go and be free from your suffering. That also is happening right now. There's two things happening. She's being healed and she's brought into the kingdom and into the family. And so wherever you might be with all of this, I think that it is, it's, it's less dysfunctional for sure to be able to say, I am putting my faith into the one who represents the kingdom of heaven. I'm putting my faith into you and I am just going to grab a hold of you in whatever way I can. And, and that faith brings us into his family and into the kingdom. And I want to strengthen you and encourage you to be somebody who has faith in Jesus. And he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine in this world. So practically speaking, I know that we've seen three times in this chapter before people falling before Jesus' feet in surrender. And maybe you as a person, there's something in your life that you do need to surrender. Whether we rewind all the way back to the conversation about how much fear we bring into our minds and our mouths and our hearts, and maybe it's Maybe this week a practice in your life is going to be, I'm going to fall at the feet of Jesus with this in my hands and say, I surrender to you. I have no other options but you. Going against the final uh, verse here, um, verse 43, <laughs> I think that that is really not a, a direct application to us now. Okay, no strict orders to not tell people about Jesus here. Okay. It's the opposite. I think that that's a theme in Mark where we start to see um, the outsiders being brought in and he protects them from all of the dysfunction of the insiders by saying, don't tell anybody about this, okay? I'm doing a work with outsiders right now. But for you, maybe an application for your life this week is you could start to say, I'm going to be a person who starts to tell the truth to people about what I actually believe about Jesus, my king, the person who brings the kingdom of heaven into my life. And as that person, you also then will bring the kingdom of heaven into the people that you're talking to and interacting with lives. And so, the final word I'd like to say to you before we pray is this. Wake up. It's time to wake up, O oh sleeper. All the fears and the, the, the oppression and evil in this world has caused us to fall asleep in various ways. And just see Jesus take her by the hand and say, wake up. And I want to pray to receive the word from Christ today for you as well. In whatever ways that your life has fallen asleep or fallen into sin or fallen into worry or confusion, wake up and see the king of glory and see what he's doing in this world. Let's pray.
Wake up. Arise from the dead, O you sleeper. We are here to receive your direction and discernment, Lord. And so if there's anybody here who has been just sort of caught up in fear, I pray that they would hear your voice even now say, don't be afraid. Not just in, not in arbitrarily, don't be afraid because the voice of the king of the universe is speaking that to you and he's saying, I got you. Go ahead and grab a hold of me.